The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. All right, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, and it's great to have you here with us. And uh, we are going to look at a very timely passage uh, in the Bible today. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible or you don't want to use the Bible app that you have, the verses will be on the screen or there's an outline in the bulletin you can follow along. Uh, so uh, crazy time of year, like just a lot of change, a lot of things coming. So um, and it's timely for us in a very busy time to make sure we are really dialed in on what matters most. It's these times in our lives where there's change and a lot of things happening that we can get off course. And maybe an example of that, an analogy of that could be there's a friend of mine that runs a Christian outfitting company up in Wisconsin. And so they do rock climbing and rappelling and canoeing kayak trips for groups. And during the winter, one of the things my friend does is he takes people on dog sledding trips. How many, has anybody here ever dog sledded before? I have not, okay? And he'll even go into areas that are into the Arctic Circle and that kind of thing. And so apparently sometimes he'll be in areas where everything's just flat and white and just incredibly bright. And for you to keep your bearings in that kind of setting, you need your compass, but then you need something visually you can look at along the horizon. And usually it'll be a, a small clump of trees that you lock in on. And so those trees could be five or 10 miles away, but you're still locking in to make sure that you're taking those dogs and that sled in the right direction. So I guess one time my friend was doing that and he thought this was a clump of trees he was locked in on and he just started mushing the sled and he's just following, following what he thought was trees. And as they got closer and closer, they realized these trees are moving. Like, and so as they got even closer, uh, these aren't trees, these are caribou. You know? And so what he thought maybe five or 10 miles back, way on the horizon, uh, or some trees that he could just set his sights on. This is a moving herd of caribou. So actually when he realized that, he realized, well, we aren't going where I thought we should be going. Like we are off course because we weren't locked in on trees. We were locked in on, on caribou. And so that can happen so easily in our lives. And maybe you've had seasons like that where you kind of wake up and you go, wait a minute, how did I get here? How did I get this far off course of, of where I'm going? And so busy time of year, if you're a parent, you're getting kids registered, you're working out carpool details, you're working out practice schedules. If you're a student at Iowa, you're learning where's McLean and uh, where's, where's McBride and like where's all this stuff, what's 24-7, what's, you know, like all these things you're trying to sort through. It can be a very crazy time of year. Even for us as a church, uh, you'll go out and you'll see a church that is doing many things. There are many activities out there and it, it's possible for a church to get so busy in the details and the activities that we miss out on what God is really calling us to do. So thankful this morning for our passage because God loves us and God just wants to speak right to us about what really matters. Like what's the banner over this year that we need to make sure that we're running after out of all the other pursuits? What do we need to make sure we are locking in on? So I want to pray for us. And let me, before I pray, let me just do... Um, a prayer here for if you are a student, if you are a teacher or involved with students in any capacity, or you are a parent of students who are stepping into a school year, I want to especially pray for you. So could all of you stand if you are any of those, any of the above, okay? So involved with students, a student, a parent of a student, a teacher, just 
yeah, I figured. This time of year, I'll check this out. All right, so let me pray for you. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into this passage together. So, yeah, Jesus, this time of year in our town, it's just game on. There are so many things flying at us. I thank you for the students that are standing here. God, may this be a year where they not only do well in their academics and in their pursuit of learning more and more, may this be a sweet year of them connecting with you in fresh ways. Pray for the parents here, God, as they are unleashing their students into the various schools. God, give them wisdom. Give us wisdom how to encourage our kids, how to keep our kids focused on what really matters. And God, I thank you for the teachers that are here. What a strategic role they play in the lives of our kids. May their motto be to their students, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And may they be just uh, exceptional in their rooms this year, not just in communicating content, but in also communicating the person of Jesus Christ through their lives. And now I pray for all of us, Father, as a church, would you speak to all of us? In fact, I want to ask all of you right now to pray, God, would you speak to me? Would you teach me something that I need in my life this morning? You pray to God, ask him to teach you something. And God, I thank you that you love your people. I thank you that you're here with us. Speak clearly now through your truth. And it's in your name we pray, amen. All right, so you can grab a seat. So Matthew 22 is where we will be. We're gonna start in verse 37. And here's what's going on uh, in this situation. Jesus is toward the end of his earthly ministry. Uh, He traveled in different parts of regions called Judea and Galilee. But now it's toward the end of his ministry and he is moving into Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is the hotbed of his opposition. There are, in particular, two factions of religious leaders that don't like Jesus because he is gaining in the polls. He is gaining in popularity. So much like the Democrats and Republicans are vying for the hearts of the American people, you have the Sadducees and the Pharisees, these two religious groups, just vying for power and influence. And Jesus was an outsider. Jesus was a threat to them. And so it was their goal to make Jesus look bad in front of a whole bunch of people. So the Sadducees, let's look at verse 34. It says, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. And so what's happened is in a very public forum, a couple of Sadducees have asked Jesus questions to try to divide the audience, asking Jesus controversial questions so he would land on an issue that would alienate him from some of his base of popularity. But if you read the Gospels, Jesus was awesome on his feet. People all the time tried to trip him up with trick questions, and he always would give brilliant answers. So the Sadducees have already failed twice. The Pharisees' eyes get big, and they go, this is our chance. We can move in. And so they, they bring forward a lawyer, and this would have been an expert in the Old Testament law. And plus, the religious leaders in that day had added 613 laws on the backs of the people. You had to do these things to be pleasing to God. And so this lawyer would have been an expert in all of this. And so they're putting forth their ace. They're putting forth their big gun to try to shoot Jesus down in public. And his question to Jesus is this, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now that was one of the biggest questions that the scholars of that day constantly debated. What is the greatest? Is it do not murder? 
Uh, is it the Sabbath laws? This is how God should be worshipped. And so, so there was great division over which law is the greatest. And so Jesus just looked right back at him and he said, this is the greatest. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. I'm, I'm so glad. I mean, their intent was evil. They're trying to trip Jesus up. But I'm so glad they asked that question because it gave Jesus a chance to make it clear to them, but also to make it clear to us this morning. What is our greatest pursuit? What, out of all the things going on in our lives, what should be at the top of the heap? What should be our priority? And from the heart of God, the answer is, out of all of the loves in your life, out of all the pursuits in your life, I want to be first. I don't want to just be part of your life. I want to be preeminent in your life. I don't want to just be in your top 20. I want to be number one. And so there's a couple of responses to that you could have. First of all, if that's me saying that to you, that's egotistical, right? I want to be number one in your life. It's like, that's sick, Doug. That's not going to happen, okay? They're not even close. Um, but Jesus even said things like this. In Matthew 10, 37, Jesus said that if we love our families more than him, if our affections go more toward the people in our lives than to him, he says that we are not worthy of him. See, this comes from the heart of a God that knows how we've been made, and we've been made to long for and to love one person, and that's, that's him, to love our God, that out of all the loves, out of all the pursuits in our lives, only one will never disappoint us. Only one can meet every need we have and satisfy every desire we have, only one. And so it's not egotistical for God to say this. It is loving for God to say, out of all the pursuits in your life, I demand that I be number one in the league of your life. And so I got to ask us this morning, is that even anywhere on our radar this morning? As we're setting goals maybe for this school year or as parents, if we have desires and goals for our kids Honestly, is that anywhere near the top? Are we even thinking that way? That through this year, I want to love God first. I want to make sure God is my first love. Or for my kids, I mean, my biggest desire for them is that God would be their first love. Or for us as a church, if you're leading a ministry, you're involved in a ministry, out of all the things we're doing, is the bottom line desire that the people we work with love God with their whole heart. God says, let me just simplify it all for you. Instead of the 613 laws they had in Jesus' day, instead of all the things you can pursue in our day, God says, let's just make it simple. Love me with your whole heart, okay? So that's, that's the command. Now let's talk about why, okay? So why does Jesus say we do that? And it goes on, um, and there's a little phrase that we just read right through. Love the Lord your God. In that little phrase, the Lord your God, there are so many things about God that are just put right out there for us. In fact, here's, here's my statement in this section of our message, is that the key to loving God is that we've got to see him clearly. That in order to really love God with our whole heart, we have to see who he is. We have to know him. We have to see him. There's a book of the Bible called 1 John. It was written by uh, one of Jesus' disciples. And it's interesting, he, there was also a gospel written by him. So the gospel of John, there are several times in that gospel where John is writing the story of Jesus. 
And the way John describes himself is he can never bring himself to write his name in there. He describes himself this way, that I was the disciple that Jesus loved. That for, for whatever reason, out of the 12 disciples, John especially felt and sensed and experienced the love of Jesus. That out of all the people that ever walked this planet, who in person tangibly experienced the love of God through Jesus, it was John. And so this letter that John wrote, 1 John, is just filled with that concept of the love of God. And here's one thing he says in 1 John 3, 1. He says this, See what kind of love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. There were other translations, I memorized that in a younger day, that said, Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we can become children of God of God. Behold. So it's like, stop in your tracks and just look. Like, in fact, the writing is that way. He's just writing his letter. He's just going along in First John, and then he gets to 3.1, and he goes, guys, just stop. Just stop and look. Look and see the manner of love. And that was a phrase, it was like an idiom that meant um, a, a love from another place. It meant literally from another country. And so what, what John is saying, a love that is so beyond us, it's not a love that we don't ever even understand, behold what manner of love that God has lavished on us, that we could become the children of God. God's love is compelling. When you really see God for who he is, uh, he is so compelling. This summer, our family did maybe one of the traditional throw everybody in a minivan and let's go to Yellowstone, right? So we did one of those. And so uh, we're driving and I heard more than once questions from the back. Why are we driving so far to go to Yellowstone, right? And so you got to go through a lot of nothing to get to Yellowstone. Um, if you have 80 mile an hour speed limits in your state, I think that's an admission that your state really doesn't have much to offer. And so it's, it's, an act, it's actually an act of kindness. Like we just want you out of our state as soon as possible because we know how boring our state is. And if you have to spice things up in your state with a corn palace and with a drugstore where you advertise with a million signs all around the planet and you get there and it's like, oh, this is it. You know, like if you have to do that, that's just an honest admission that we don't have much here. Okay, so just come on through our state. We'll let you go 80 and we'll let you go. So there's a lot of that. Or you get to eastern Wyoming, you think you're almost there. It's like you'll see signs like no services next hundred miles. Good luck. You know, like so <laughs> there you go. So you're going through a lot of nothing, a ton of nothing. And then but but once you get there, like and once you hike some of those trails and you see some of those waterfalls or you see the canyon area and you see the Yellowstone River just going over that and you go down 300 steps and you're dying but you look to get close to the falls there's no debate there there's nobody going like what do you think is it is this awesome or what no like everybody's taking pictures everybody's like crowding to look and it's so because the the beauty of Yellowstone is so compelling where you'll be driving through the park and when you see that everybody's pulling over you go a big animal up there. You know, we had our top seven. We were hoping for bear, grizzly bear, mountain lion, you know, and so we had elk and moose, and we only ended up with three of the seven. I think we had an elk, we had a bighorn sheep, and we had a bison. Okay, but bison were everywhere. So, like, we missed some of the, so then we had to expand our list, like chipmunk, you know, like top 20, <laughs> right? So, you know, we didn't do so good with some of the big seven, but even, you know, when you see everybody pulling over, everybody's hopes are up, like, could that be the bear? Could that be the... 
We even went through an area they call the Bermuda Triangle because bears are everywhere. We didn't see any. So that's how, that's how our luck went with bears. But um, beautiful country. And again, the compelling uh, the compellingness of God's creation when you're there in Yellowstone. That's why you drive that far out. And so um, the way the Bible describes God is very similar, that when you see God clearly, his love and who he is compels you to love him and to put him first in your lives. There's that phrase that Jesus said, love the Lord your God. Again, we just fly through that. Jesus was quoting um, a, a passage from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, where again, it starts the same way. Love the Lord your God. Right there, there are two names for God that just jump out at you. The Lord would have been the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew word uh, Yahweh. That's the covenant-keeping God. That's the relationship God. That's the God who initiates, the God who pursues, the God who is famous for his mercy and his love for people and his, his desire to be in relationship with people and to never leave his people. That's, that's Yahweh. Love Yahweh, your God. And so when you look into who is Yahweh, who is this God, he is the one who initiates with us. First John 4.19 says that we love because God first loved us. That's, that's Yahweh, God. That's the Lord who moved toward us. He initiates He's the God who sacrifices. He's the God whose love is sacrificial. 1 John 4, 9 through 11. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we, uh, so, that we who, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation uh, for our sins. Remember he said early how John described God's love is from not, it's not from this place. It's not from this world. And so because God's love is so radically different than our understanding of love, verse 9 here, 1 John 4 said that, that Jesus came to make it manifest to us. He came to show us what God's love is like. It is so mind-blowing. It is so different. Uh, it is a love that initiates. It's a love that sacrifices it's a love that never ends. We don't love like that. Nobody here loves like that. And yet Jesus came to show us the love of God. And so the love of God is sacrificial. Whenever you see love defined in the, Old, in the New Testament, it makes a beeline to the cross. You want to see what love is? Look at what Jesus did for us. The sinless Son of God came and lived on this planet, and he pursued sinful people like us. I am easily the most sinful person in this room. I know where my thoughts go. I know things I have said about people. I know what I have done in my past. Every one of us falls dreadfully short uh, from the standards of a holy God. And yet Jesus still came to this earth, not just to teach us, not just to be with us, but to die for us. This verse said he is the propitiation for our sins. That when Jesus was on the cross, he took the wrath of a holy God that we deserve because we have fallen short, because we have sinned. Jesus stepped in between us and his holy Father, and he took the wrath of God away on the cross. So that if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, our sins are forgiven, the wrath that we deserved is taken away, and then we can become children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us. Stop and look, people. Don't just keep flying through your life. Stop and look at the love of God 
that has been made manifest to us that we could become children of God. That's, that's the love of God. That's Yahweh. So love the Lord. And then the next word is your God. The word God is the word Elohim in the Old Testament. That was the name used for the creator God, the transcendent God, the almighty God, the God that does whatever he wants and nobody can stop him. He is the all-powerful God. And I love the pronoun linked right in there. He's our God. It's not just this all-powerful force. We have no idea, is this a good day or a bad day? Is he going to wipe me out? Is he for me? But we can cling to promises like, if God is for us, who can be against us? This almighty creator God. And you have both names for God set side by side because you need both. If you had just the Yahweh God, the one who wants to be in relationship with you, the one who wants to love you, but if he has no power, how can he execute his promises? How can he fulfill for you what he says he will do? Like, what if you had a guy who's like, oh man, I wish I, I would really like to love you and really care for you this week, but I'm really tired. Like, I'm really stressed out. And there's these people that don't want me to love you, so I'm just gonna have to back off. Like, there's not much comfort in that, right? Or you don't want a God that just has all the power and all the control and can do whatever he wants to you, but you don't know if he loves you. But when you elevate the Yahweh, your God, the Lord, your God, it's a beautiful picture of what you have because of who God is. And so, again, this morning, I would say, if we are not loving God with our whole heart and with our soul and our mind, it's because we don't see him. We don't, we don't know him. We don't understand who he is. There's something broken in us. If God isn't clearly number one in the league of my life, that's not his deal. That's, I'm going to take that one right here, okay? There's something broken here. Either I don't understand who he is. Maybe I've been taught wrong things or made wrong assumptions about him. How could a God that big love someone like me? Maybe we don't understand, and I don't know how we ever will understand his grace or his mercy, uh, but it's either something's broken in our understanding of who God is, or it could be a sign that something's broken in us, that here's this amazing God making all these amazing offers to us, and we are broken and that we see too much of ourselves. Like, oh, that's interesting. I'll, I'll get back to you, God. Like, I, in the meantime, I'm just going to do my thing. I'm going to do what I think is going to satisfy me. I know you're almighty and omnipotent and all that, but I'm just going to do my thing. That's broken too, okay? And so if we are not loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, if he is not clearly number one in our lives, something's broken and something needs to change. And I think what the Bible would say, I think what John would say is, behold, look at who God is. Maybe your goal for this year is, I need to know that God. I, I want to get to know that God. And if that's your heart, I mean, God, God does not play hide and seek. God does not tease you and then hide. We do that with our dog all the time. We'll throw, throw him the ball down the steps and we'll go hide. He'll come up, where'd you go? Where'd you go? Where'd you go? Like, that's not God. God is just like, here I am. I want you to know me. I want you to know my love. So um, love the Lord your God. When we see him, uh, we will know him and we will, we will pursue him with all that we are. So now what's this look like? How do we love God with our heart, soul, and mind? You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So when Jesus said those things, I don't think he meant there to be a real deep division of us. I think in general, the heart 
refers to your passions, your desires. I think when the Bible uses the word soul, a lot of times it's an all-encompassing word. It means your life. It means your pursuits. It means the things that you have. It means the general direction of where you're going. But bottom line, he's just saying we just love God with everything we have. And what that looks like um, is laid out for us in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So again, this is the verse that Jesus was quoting when he answered the question from the Pharisee uh, when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Let me read Deuteronomy 6 to you. It gives us a picture of what loving God with our whole heart looks like. So Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, and you will teach them diligently to your children, and you will talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. There's a glimpse of what this looks like. If I love God wholeheartedly, what's that going to look like? One clear picture here is, is that if you were a father, if you were a parent, the children around you would clearly know that God is your first love. And it wouldn't be just because you sit them down and teach them formally. That would be a part of it. But it would be also they could just watch you throughout your day. That when you rise, when you sit, when you're walking along the way, when you're driving them to practice, when you're coming home from work, when you're tucking them in at night, there's a consistency about you. And that you are, you can't help it but to talk about God. To talk about how awesome God is. That you're teaching through your words and through your life that God is clearly number one in our lives. And that, that's, a, that's a gut check here as a parent. Like if you were to honestly ask your kids, what is mom and dad's number one love? Like if we're truly loving heart, soul, mind, it ought to be a no-brainer to our kids. Well, they love God. Like that's, that's number one. They just, not in an obnoxious way, but just constantly they're just talking about him and they're, they're walking with him and they're living with him. And I, I wonder what the people we work with, people we go to school with, people we live around, what would they say is our number one pursuit? What's number one in the league, in the league of our lives? And so um, we're heading into September. We're heading into the start of a Hawkeye football season. Uh, and it's clear who the Hawkeye fans are, right? So they're wearing shirts. They're flying the flags. They even got the flags on the cars. And it's because it's September, right? And so we're just envisioning 12-0, and 0, Rose Bowl, all this. But then we'll see, like, how many of those flags are flying in November, right? And so, but you don't have to guess. At this time of year, it's like everybody's got them out, and we're hoping, and we're ready, and there we go, right? So don't have to guess on the street who are the Hawkeye fans. It ought to be the same way as who is in love, who's in love with God wholeheartedly. And so what's this going to look like? A couple things here. We're going to pursue him. That what we truly love, we pursue And so with God, that means there's time spent with him. It means we are reading the Bible to learn more about him so that we understand and we can see who he is. We can see his character and his love. It means that we are pursuing relationships with other people who can help us understand who God is. We're joining community groups. We're in Bible studies. We're praying with people so that we can get to know God. So we will pursue him. It's interesting. I did a wedding this summer. And this time last year, this couple didn't know each other. So they're just doing their lives. They're both right out of college, busy with ministry, busy with a lot of different things. I'm sure if you would have talked to them this time last year, their schedules were full. They were busy. They were on the go. And then, boom, middle of September, end of September, boy meets girl, and things get flipped. 
Okay, because he loves her or, you know, is pursuing her, because she is pursuing him, schedules start changing, right? Now, where there was no time, now there's date nights, right? And where there wasn't much margin for communicating with people, there's texting, there's, there's phone calls, there's letters maybe being written, little steamy love letters being written and all this. So suddenly where there was no time, there, there's a lot of time. And this relationship continues to grow and it continues to build, now they're husband and wife, right? And so, so some of us are sitting here this morning, maybe some singles here going like, oh, maybe that's going to be my story. Like right now you're really busy and maybe between next year I'll be, you know, the pastor going, you know, this summer, this time last year, there was somebody sitting in church in August and you're going, maybe it could be me. But here's the deal, it could be for all of us, is that what if this year in a brand new way our eyes were opened to who God really is? Like right now we think we're busy. Right now we think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some God time. I'm, I'm pursuing him. What if in a fresh way, we, our eyes were open to how amazing God is, how much margin there is in our schedule, how much more of a pursuit God could see from us if our eyes were truly open to who he is, if we truly loved him, heart, soul, and mind. So there'd be a pursuit of him. I think if we truly love God, heart, soul, and mind, there would be a worship of him, a fresh, a fresh worship, a fresh awe, that there is something radically different about God and the way he loves me, and I respond to that with, with awe. And uh, there's, by no means uh, do I mean to judge anybody when I'm saying this, but there is, for me, when you start talking to somebody about their relationship with God and how they phrase it or how they pray, you just sense in the person that really understands what God has done for them, it's just bathed with awe. You don't, you don't pick up any sense of, yeah, I've, I've known God a long time. And I, you know, just matter of factly, what you, you sense from them is like, I don't understand this. Like how, how could God do this for me? Like how, how could Jesus have given his life for me? There's, there's an awe, there's a reverence that I hope none of us lose. In fact, I think those times in your life where you can look and say, my love for God has been growing cold. What usually grows cold with that is an awe factor. That there, we've lost our awe of how amazing the cross really is. About how, how holy and how perfect, how almighty Jesus was and how humbling it was for him, and how desperately needy I am, how much of a sinner I am. And so when we lose track of those, I think our awe factor from God goes down, and we begin to get cold in our love for him. I think if that's us this morning, the place to go back to, re, to restore that awe factor has got to be to go to the cross, and just keep examining, and just keep being honest about who you are, and what, what God has done for you in spite of who you are. And so there's, there's a real awe, there's a real sense of worship uh, that comes from the heart that really loves God, heart, soul, and mind. And so there's pursuit of God, there's worship of God, and then there's obedience to God. Jesus said that in John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. Uh, so Jesus says, hey, you love me? You're gonna do what I say. And uh, that's not our normal nature. Like, we do not like being told what to do. We, we don't. And so, uh, but when you understand that these commands, that this word is coming from the heart of a God who loves you, who pursues you, who initiates with you, who longs to bless you, who loves you in a way you will never be loved before, then you take those words completely differently. You want to do what he's asking you to do. What he's asking you to do 
is good for you. He's leading you to a place of blessing and good things. And so that's why David says one of the longest chapters in the Bible in Psalm 119, over and over again, David will say, God, I love your law because he loved the lawgiver. He, a love for God was reflected in a love for God's commandments and God's word that I don't want to just know this book. I don't want to just have more facts in my head. I want to live this book out. And so that's a great pursuit for us as a church too, is not just join another study, not just go to another sermon, but is there a plan in your life for how you're going to take the words you hear and put them to practice in your life? You know, that's one of the values of being in community with other Christians, that a community group done well will not just be a place where you study the Bible together and then move on, but where you study the Bible together and then together as a group help each other put it to practice. It's a place where you can be honest and say, I am really struggling. I know God says, forgive, but you don't understand. Like this person in my life, I cannot forgive them. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? Can you coach me into obedience? That's, that's healthy biblical community. It's helping each other not just know the Bible, but put the Bible to practice. And so my prayer for us, as Jesus has tried to just narrow in our sights this morning out of all the pursuits, all the busyness. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I just picture a people being unleashed all over Iowa City this afternoon and this week and all over campus and all over our communities. And I think hallmarks of people who know they are loved by God. They are fearless. They are fearless because perfect love casts out all fear. If God is for me, who can be against me? There's a fearlessness about them. There's a selflessness. We'll talk about this next week. That the person who knows he's loved by God, Paul said, the love of Christ compels me because one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So if you understand the love of God, you'll be fearless, you'll be selfless, and you'll be shameless. You will not be ashamed of the gospel. Your love is better than life, David said in Psalm 63. And we see that playing out all over the planet. As Christians are being persecuted, you want to know how real the love of God is? Look in some of these places where believers are being uh, just completely killed and martyred uh, because of their love of God, because of God's love for them. Think about that college campus in Kenya last spring where enemies of Jesus Christ We're going door to door through that dormitory, kicking doors open and asking a student point blank, are you a Christian? Do you identify with Jesus Christ? And if that student said yes, they were killed on the spot. You talk about what could compel somebody to that kind of courage and that kind of confidence. What kind of love would you tenaciously hold on to, even at the point of the barrel of a gun? And so it's the love of God that completely transforms us. And just how amazing it would be if God, if, if this year, loving God, loving God wholeheartedly was at the top of our agenda, that's what I'm going to pursue this year. That's what I want my kids to pursue. That's what I want my family to pursue. Imagine just the wave of folks living shamelessly, not ashamed of Jesus, living selflessly and living fearlessly. It could be an amazing, an amazing year. Let me pray. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your love for us and you know how easily distracted we are. And I thank you for John's words where he said, behold, look, look what manner of love 
the Father has given to us that we can be called children of God. God, I pray that that pursuit of you and your love would transcend all other pursuits in my life and in this church in this year to come. God, I pray this morning if there's anybody here that doesn't understand the gospel, doesn't understand your love, doesn't understand Jesus, what you've done for them, give them the courage to ask a friend they came with today. Give them the courage to ask me or one of the helpers with the green badge on the foyer. God, I just pray this would be the day. Maybe it's the start of a student's college career in Iowa City. Maybe uh, it's a teacher ready to step back into a classroom tomorrow. Maybe it's a family that's just struggling and just needs to know that you're with them. God, may this be the day that people begin a relationship with the Lord our God. It's in your great name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.